I've been excited about this text for weeks, and I am excited to finally get here to it as we return to Second Kings, and we are uh, kicking off a series called Bold, as we're going to look at the faith of Elisha and looking at his life, the kind of faith that he has, what we're going to learn from him and, and how he deals with Israel is, is absolutely amazing. But while we're doing that, also pay attention to the extraordinary symbolism that is being unveiled over these next few chapters. Uh, it is with all restraint that I don't completely geek out in these chapters and just go all into symbolism and forget your application. We're just going to go see all this neat stuff all over the New Testament. I'm going to pull back the reins. The younger me would have done that. <laughs> I'm going to not do that as best I can. But I'm going to show you a lot of the symbolism as we go and encourage you to run the rabbit trails about that symbolism that's there because there's extraordinary New Testament imagery that explodes out of these chapters. And especially here, clearly the giveaway of the title of the sermon to key in on that is we're going to look at the ascension of Elijah in 2 Kings chapter 2. Now, 2 Kings 2 has all kinds of crazy things that uh, often befuddle people. Not only do you have uh, Elijah going up in a whirlwind and we have chariots of fire and we've got bears mauling boys and we've got all kinds of strange things that are going on in this chapter, which leads a lot of people to wonder, well, what is going on? Why is it all here? A lot of commentators, these are just trivial miracles being, you know, spattered about. And, and I'm looking forward to showing you that there's an intention in the meaning of what is happening for Israel as well as for us. And that's what we're going to spend our time looking at are these huge images in regards to Elisha, what he does in his faith, as well as pictures of God in regards to what he's going to do for his people. That puts us in 2 Kings chapter 2. First verse, before we can hardly get going, already has some pretty stunning statements that are being made to us. Very first line of chapter 2. Now, when the Lord was about to take up Elijah up into heaven by a whirlwind. Okay. I mean, we haven't had any idea that that was going to happen. <laughs> so, you know, it's almost as if we're all fully aware that that was about to take place. And that this is kind of a blind side all of a sudden. Hey, Elijah is going to be taken up uh, by a whirlwind into heaven. And not only is it interesting that you're told just kind of matter of fact about that, but as we go through these verses, you will notice it seems that everybody knows that. That is also particularly interesting. So verse one there. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up into heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And so they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep quiet. And Elijah then said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And so they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were in Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? 
And he answered, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. And then Elijah said to him, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. He said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And so the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them. And they both were standing by the Jordan. And then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted to one side and the other till the two of them could go over the dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you have asked for a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And they went on still and talked. Behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up in a whirlwind into heaven. And Elijah saw it and cried, my father, my father, and the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. And he stood, he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water saying, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. Let's start there with all of that. (laughs) That just unfolds there. First of all, I want you to see something amazing about Elisha that the, the image that's given to us about him is he is going to follow Elijah no matter what. Elijah says, hey, I've got to go over here for a while. Why don't you stay here? And Elisha says, no way. I'm going with you. I'm going to go with you to Bethel. I'm going with you to the Jordan. Wherever you go, there is where I'm going to go. A powerful picture about Elisha, because you might remember back in 1 Kings chapter 19, when Elijah called Elisha, you have Elisha bidding farewell to his family and then going and following Elijah. And now you're seeing that carried out where Elisha is basically Elijah's shadow. He is there wherever Elijah's at. If Elijah's going to crisscross Israel, then he's going to go there too. If he crosses the Jordan, he's going to go there too. You are seeing a picture of a disciple here. A picture of I'm going to follow my master wherever he goes. And in the process of that, something strange seems to happen here is that They come to the Jordan River and Elijah takes off his cloak and rolls it up and strikes the water. It parts in two and they walk on dry ground. Now, you don't have to be around the Bible very long to have a couple of things that you might remember. You certainly think about Moses as he stood before the Red Sea and the the waters parted and said that they walked on dry ground. You might also remember that Joshua recreated that in crossing the Jordan River from the east going in to conquer into uh, Jericho. And so the waters were parted there as well when you had the high priest putting their feet into the water and then the waters were, were parted then. And so now you have that, that imagery again, this powerful picture of who Elijah is and what he's going to do. After that happens, though, you have perhaps the, the strange dialogue 
that you have there in verse 9. Elijah then says, Ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. So, Elisha, what do you want me to do? And it sounds like Elisha's answer is awfully puzzling, doesn't it? When you see him say in verse 9, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. What might even be more striking is Elijah's answer to that is, You've asked for a hard thing, but... If you're with me when I'm taken up, then it will be granted to you. But if you're not with me when I'm taken up, then it won't. And on the surface, this sounds awfully strange. Because one is Elisha saying, I want to have double your power. You do really cool things. And if I could have twice that, that would be amazing. And then Elijah says, well, that's a pretty difficult thing to ask, which I would say parenthetically. Is there anything too hard for God that Elijah would be saying? That's a really tough thing you're asking. We're going down the wrong road between thinking like this. But you're asking for a really hard thing. But let's play a game. If you follow me when I'm gone, I'll give it to you. But if you're not and I trick you and you're not with me wherever I go, then you're not going to get it. See, it's not that. It's easy to read this too simplistically as if Elisha wants something personal for himself. Give me double power. I'm so excited you have all this power. I want to be able to do that too. Well, that's a really hard thing, but maybe you can have it if you follow me. Let's back up a little bit and think about this discussion that's going on. When you talk about receiving a double portion, You should have an Old Testament bell that rings off in your mind. And that bell is the person who received double portions under the law of Moses and belonging to Israel was the firstborn. This is a declaration of relationship. And what you have Elisha asking is not, I want to have more power than you or double your power or something like that, as if Elijah's power is insignificant. I mean, he's perhaps notably, until Christ comes, the most powerful miracle worker that had come along. But rather, what you have Elisha saying is, I want to be your successor, your firstborn son. I want to pick up where you left off. I know you're about to leave. Elijah's question, what do you want me to do for you before I go? The answer is, I want to carry the mantle. I want to keep the ministry going. I want to do the work. I want to be the firstborn son. I want to be the next in line. I want to carry out the task. And that's why Elijah's answer is, you've asked a hard thing. Why is that a hard thing? Because Elijah's life has been miserable doing this ministry in Israel. This is not an easy thing you're signing up for, Elisha. This is awfully difficult. Do you know how it's gone for me? I have had to run for my life. Don't forget, he goes running off into the wilderness telling God, you might as well kill me because this effort is a waste of time. Remember that whole discussion we had after the whole Mount Carmel scene and the Prophets of Baal are killed. And what was the great repentance of Israel? Jezebel saying, so help me if you're not dead tomorrow for what you've done. No hearts were turned. No repentance. Fire came down from heaven and nobody blinked. 
And Elisha is saying, I want to continue the work. And Elijah is saying, you're asking for a lot. You're asking for a hard thing. You want to continue the work. You want to continue the ministry. You want to carry the mantle. Then under one condition. That you have to be with me. When I ascend. When I'm taken up. Now, why is that so important? I think the point of this rightful succession, depending upon witnessing Elijah's departure, is all about what this text has been implying and strongly repeating. Will you follow me everywhere? Will you be with me every step of the way? You can continue my work, continue that that task, carry on that ministry in Israel. But there's not a moment where you can not stop walking with me. You've got to go with me everywhere. If you want to continue the task and continue the work and continue the ministry, then there's no turning back. You're going to have to be with me every step of the way, even to the moment when I'm taken up. And obviously, Elisha has shown himself up to the task because Elijah keeps saying, well, don't you stay here and take a break and I'm going to go over there. And Elisha goes, I'm not going to stay here and take a break. I'm not going to sit here, get some water and some food and relax and catch up with you later. Where you go, I'm going to go. And Elijah is saying, basically, you keep that up. And you can continue the work. But understand what you're signing up for. You're signing up for a hard thing. And it seems that no sooner does that discussion happen and they go on a little bit more in verse 11. That very thing happened as a chariot of fire and we have horses of fire come and separate the two of them. That had to be quite a scene just to watch them just go pull the two apart. And then Elijah is taken up into heaven, which final powerful picture of Elijah. Here's God again breaking the power of death. Here he is showing this picture. God has the power to conquer death. We've only seen that one other time with this enigmatic statement in Genesis chapter 5. That Enoch walked with God and was not. And now something more visible about the power of God over death. Is that Elijah here is taken up before Elisha's very eyes. And that leads then to what Elisha does next that I think is rather important. It is also easy to read verse 14 and think, well, what is Elisha saying here? As Elijah is taken up, his cloak is left behind and Elisha grabs the cloak and says in verse 14, standing on the banks of the Jordan, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Understand what he's saying here. Now that Elijah is gone, is God going to still do his work in Israel? You see, Elisha has been discussing with Elijah, I want to carry on the work. I have been following you every step of the way. And when you go, I want to continue the task. And so now that Elijah is gone... Is God still in Israel? Is God still going to work his wonders and try to redeem Israel and try to bring them back? Is God still in the land? And he takes the cloak and strikes the water and the waters divide. Important symbolism. 
Yes, God's going to be with Elisha to carry the work. God is still in Israel. God is still trying to save Israel, still trying to redeem his people. It's not yet too late. Which leads to what these final three scenes are all about. From verse 15 to verse 25, what we are going to be shown are essentially three pictures of Elisha's authority that he is the rightful one to continue Elijah's work, that he has been designated by God as the one to carry that mantle and to go forward and do the work that Elijah was already doing in Israel. He is the one to continue it. Three scenes are given here to verify that authority. Notice the first one in verse 15. Now, when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. Very interesting. The prophets just go, we can tell that the spirit of Elijah now is on, on Elisha. There has, has been this accepting of his authority. So the end of verse 15, they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. And they said to him, behold, now there are with your servants 50 strong men. Let them go. And seek your master that it may be the spirit of the Lord has caught him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. I love that. It seems also that everybody knew that Elijah had the tendency to disappear and reappear other places. (laughs) And that's what they're saying here is. Wow, Elisha, we're your servants. We, okay, we, we know what, that you have the power of Elijah with you. However, let us go make sure that Elijah's not in some mountain or some valley or sees, he's jumped somewhere else. Uh, you might remember, though, the servant of uh, Ahab was concerned about that. <laughs> that might happen. But notice what Elisha says in verse 16. He says, no, you shall not send. Verse 17, but they urged him till he was ashamed. And he finally relents and says, send. And they sent the 50 men. And for three days, they looked for him and did not find him. And they came back while he was staying at Jericho and said to them, and he said to them, did I not say to you not to go? (laughs) Just let us go. Look, he can just hear Elijah. No, he's not good. You're not going to find him. He's gone. No, let us go. Look, Fine. Go look. Three days hunting all over Israel, looking for him. They come back. We couldn't find him. I know. (laughs) I told you he's not here. First picture that you're being given, though, is that Elisha bears God's wisdom and God's power. He possesses the spirit of Elijah. He has the answers. They come to him, has servants. They're bowing before him, and he tells them the very will of God. He absolutely is carrying on the task of God's authority. The second picture in verse 19. Now, when the men of the city said to Elisha, behold, the situation in this city is pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. And he said, bring me a new bowl and and put salt in it. And they went to and brought it to him. And he went to the spring of water and threw salt in it. And thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. And from now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke. Second important picture, not random miracles. Do you notice what city they're in? And verse 19 just says the situation in this city. Verse before, the city is Jericho. 
Now remember the situation in Jericho. After Joshua conquers Jericho, he lays a curse on the city. A curse that we are reminded about in 1 Kings chapter 16 because we saw a man named Hiel come along and attempt to rebuild Jericho to the death of his firstborn and to the death of his youngest. And he rebuilds Jericho. Jericho has been under a curse. And notice that God has maintained that curse because the people come to Elisha and they say, the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. Here they are in this city and it's a terrible situation. They go, the the place is beautiful, but the water's bad and the land's unfruitful. Notice what God does through Elisha, but reverses the curse and turns it into a blessing. A permanent blessing, because you'll notice in verse 22, so the water has been healed to this day. Not even a one time, okay, for a day. But the curse that God had put upon Jericho is now reversed by God. And now a blessing is put on it by God through Elisha. That Elisha carries out that reversal. Number three. Verse 25, and from there he went up to Bethel while he was going on his way. Some young boys came out of the city and jeered at him saying, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. And he turned around and when he saw him, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys. And from there he went to Mount Carmel. And from there he returned to Samaria. Now, there's certainly been a lot that's been done with that. (laughs) And what is going on here? Is this just simply some random boys coming along making fun of poor Elisha and his bald head? First of all, this is not a lesson about kids needing to respect their elders, though they should. Nor is this a lesson about making fun of bald people, which you shouldn't. (laughs) Not the point of the text. The point of the text is is very powerful and very important that the boys here are showing contemptuous disbelief in Elisha, telling him essentially, go on up out of here like you're one that you followed, your master. Get out of here. Go ahead and disappear too. Now remember what Elisha is representing. Elisha represents the authority of God. Elisha represents the power of God and the message of God. He's that designated successor. And what are they coming out and telling him? We don't want you. In fact, the location is interesting. It's in Bethel. What's Bethel? But one of the centers of the idolatrous worship that Jeroboam had set up very much early on. And the picture that's being given here is that if you reject God's prophet and reject his authority, a curse upon you in death. We shouldn't be surprised by that. The chapter before, chapter one, remember Ahaziah keeps sending guys to Elijah who's sitting on a mountain. And are they accepting him as prophet? No. Hey, man of God, come on down here because our king has something to do to you. And Elijah goes, oh, man of God, let fire come down from heaven. And they all die. Did they learn? No. Now, Elijah's successors walking back into Israel. And the next generation is no better than the prior. The next generation is saying the exact same thing. We don't want you. 
We don't want your authority. We don't want your message. We don't want your sermons. We don't want your works. We want you to disappear just like Elijah. Get out of here. And so a curse upon those who treat God's prophet and God's servant in that way. The final picture is verse 25. Notice Elisha retraces all of Elijah's path. Verse 25, he goes to Mount Carmel. And then after Mount Carmel, he goes to Samaria, the capital of Israel. Now, lots of important messages and lots of important imagery. So buckle up so we've got another 45 minutes, right? No, okay, we won't do it that long. But there's so much to look at here and so much for our consideration. Let's talk about the New Testament imagery. And then we will talk about why this matters for us. Number one. Important New Testament imagery for us to see is one of the things that we have talked about when it comes to Elijah that's verified for us in the New Testament is that Elijah has carried the symbolism of being John the baptizer. Jesus himself makes that direct connection. And the picture then is that Elijah is going to give way to Elisha which gives you that transferal that is going to be John the baptizer who's going to lead the way and be the forerunner. But ultimately, he's going to give way to yet another and he's going to give way to Jesus. In fact, John the baptizer was running around saying that, that I can't even be the one to untie his sandal straps, how great he is and how low I totally am before him. The picture of Elisha going around and doing miracles and reversing curses and giving life prefigured the work of what Jesus is going to do. He is going to come on the scene and when the Messiah arrives, he is going to do miracles. He is going to reverse the curse and pronounce a blessing, give life to the people and be able to do what no one has ever done before. Elisha is prefiguring this redemptive work. Of what Jesus is ultimately going to do. And those who will accept that ministry. Like these servants who are bowing before Elisha. And saying you have the power of God. You have the authority of God. They are the ones given life. Jericho gets the reversal. But the city Bethel. Where they reject that authority. They are under a curse. Under a condemnation. And under death. Now as neat as all that is. That's not even the big deal of the text. First image, first symbolism is Elijah represents John the baptizer. And Elisha represents Christ. But one thing that we have seen as we've gone through all of these books, and we've seen it in Moses, we've seen it in Joshua, we saw it in Samuel. We've seen it in David. We've seen it in Solomon is a person does not symbolize necessarily just one person. They often are portraying a number of different people. That was particularly notable, you might remember, with um, Samuel. Where Samuel is told he's going to be the light. The lamp hasn't gone out, he's going to be the light. And yet, as much as Samuel gets a lot of prefiguring of being Messiah, is going to be the one to anoint David And David's going to be the one. But yet, as much as David seems to be the one, it's actually going to be David's son. And so that shifts again. And so before we walk into this, I want us to just note that 
God never takes a person like David and said he only represents one situation or one individual. They are often varied and and diverse in the different pictures of redemptive work that's going to happen. And the same thing is the case here. While we do have Elijah as a representation for John and we do have Elisha as a representation for Jesus, we also can push this forward and note Elijah is also carrying the symbolism for Christ. You are going to have rejection of Elijah all throughout his ministry. And he's going to have disciples that will follow him wherever he goes. Really interesting picture that there will be some who are going to be willing to give up everything and to follow him. And Elisha represents those disciples, represents those who are going to follow Jesus. In fact, that pushes on because to carry out the work of authority and doing the work after Jesus leaves, one of the requirements for those apostles was they had to be with Jesus from the start, baptism of John, to the ascension. They had to be all the way to the very end to see him raised from the dead and be taken up to heaven. And so just then as Elisha was carrying out Elijah's work, so the apostles were told that they would carry on Jesus' work in those things. And the miracles would be the proof of that. That's what the miracles are doing as they are given to the apostles is that they would then carry on that very task. In fact, you might think about Acts chapter two, that monumental scene where the spirit comes upon them and they are speaking in those different languages. And what's the very point, but that they are carrying on the work. They are carrying the very authority of God with them. In fact, as we started in Acts, in Acts chapter 1, the very first sentence is telling us, as Luke writes it, the former account was what Jesus began to do and teach. What's the book of Acts about? What Jesus continued to do and teach through who? Through the apostles. And that's what's being set up here is there is this prefiguring, this foreshadowing that as Elijah represents Christ and the rejection that would happen, the work will continue forward. God will remain in Israel. The message will go on and it will be through his designated apostles who will perform miracles and do the same works as their master, Jesus. The apostle Paul said that. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into the holy temple of God. For our symbolism The ascension of Jesus is not just a miraculous moment in history, but that the ascension of Jesus is the transferring of power and authority to the apostles to continue Jesus' work. That's what's being seen with Elisha. Elisha, you want to carry on my work? Number one, it's a hard work because Israel's rejecting 
But if you're with me to the end, you will be the one to continue on and do it. And that's exactly what the apostles do. And in the same way, those who do not receive the teachings and listen to the authority of the apostles, they also were going to be cursed and destroyed. You see Jesus even instructing his disciples of that, of dusting off or shaking the dust off of their feet and moving on. And a curse would be placed upon them for not listening to God's designated apostles and the work that they were going to do. And that was the picture that was given to them. We already mentioned in Acts chapter 1 this continuing work. You might remember something strange about Matthew 18 and verse 18. Remember Jesus tells his apostles, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What is he saying? You've got the authority. When I go, it's going to be given to you. You're going to carry on the work. You're going to carry on the task. This is even how the gospel of Matthew ends. Jesus saying, all authority has been given to me. Go and make disciples. Now, why do we care? Besides that, all that's really cool. I think the example of Elisha is extremely powerful because it is a wonderful picture of what God is looking for in talking about being a disciple of Jesus. That a disciple of Jesus does two things that we've seen in the text. Number one, we understand our role. We come to him and we say, we are just servants and you are in charge. And what's so interesting is there can be a temptation to be like these people who came to Elisha and said, okay, we're your servants. But let us send some people all over the place looking for Elijah. And Elisha says, no. And they go, no, no, we really should do that. It is interesting to see that that is so often what we will do with God. Oh, yes, I will follow you wherever you go and wherever you lead and whatever you say. But let me argue with you a little bit about what you've said. Only to be proven wrong. We should have done what God said in the first place. Powerful picture of understanding that we are servants, we do as he says, and that I hope that we would just simply think about the tenacity of Elisha. Do you see the faith that he has? You couldn't get him to stop being with Elijah. There's some bold faith there. Remember, it's not easy to be a friend of Elijah. It's not something positive in the land of Israel. And yet he's going to go with him wherever he goes. He's with him thick and thin, no matter the circumstance. Nothing could persuade him to stop following Elijah. And that's exactly what Jesus asked for. Luke chapter 8, and we'll end with this text. Luke 8, as they were going along a road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, that's great. You know, I'm so glad that you would make such a verbal commitment to me like that, that you say. It's always interesting when people come to Jesus and say they have a commitment, Jesus challenges it. He never goes, that's great. I'm so glad that you decided to join my merry band. He never says that. He's always like, really? Are you sure? Look what he says. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds have of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Are you really sure you want to follow me? 
Imagine, like Elisha, you're going to follow even though you don't get to stop somewhere. No hotels. No homes. Can you imagine that? Try to put yourself in that scene for a minute. There are nights where Jesus is just going to sleep on the ground. Are you doing that too? Or are we going to be in our comfortable homes? You stay here. I'm going to, I'll stay in this place over here and I'll catch up with you later. Boy, Elisha never says, I'll catch up with you later. Now, another he said to another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me say farewell to those in my home. And I want you to listen to this final line. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Elisha doesn't look back. He says, wherever you're going, I'm going. We're crossing Jordan River. Okay. Bethel, sure. Jericho, all right. Wherever you go, he doesn't look back. Let that be the first picture of this series of what it means to have bold faith is that we don't look back and we're going to go wherever he goes because we understand who he is, that he has all authority and all power and all glory. We're not going to tell him the way it is, but we're going to follow him faithfully wherever he goes. Let's go to God in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father. Thank you for these amazing images that you've given to us. First, Lord, the amazing, amazing example of Elisha and his tenacity. Lord, give us that tenacity that nothing would stop us from following your son. Help us to have a courage and a strength that will knock down any obstacle and never allow anything to keep us from being as close to your son as possible. Help us to spend our times in ways that allow us to draw near to him as we as we need to. Lord, we pray that we could be faithful followers, that we would be willing to put our hands to the plow and never look back, but to always go forward in proclaiming the kingdom of God. And Lord, thank you for beautiful foreshadowing of redemptive pictures of what you would do for us. And that we see, Lord, in your son and in your chosen apostles, that through them, they would do the work that was given so that salvation could reach the ends of the earth. Thank you, Lord, for loving the world so that all people would have opportunity to come back to you. And Lord, I just am amazed at how often people reject and yet you still send more people to save. Even after... Israel rejected Elijah, you sent Elisha. Even after Israel rejected John, you sent Jesus. And even after they rejected Jesus, you sent your apostles. And Lord, let us just be astounded by your love. And Lord, help us to have that kind of love for other people. Because we know you want all people to be saved and not to perish. Lord, give us the strength and give us this faith. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going to sing an invitation song. We invite you to come to Jesus and see the beauty of who he is and what he's accomplished, what he's done.
We hope that as you think about that, it will encourage your faith that you see already way back here in the days of Elijah and Elisha, how he's going to save the world and how that's all going to come about. He desperately wants you to come to him. Will you come to him this very night? Turn away from your sins. We baptize for the forgiveness of your sins. Let us know if we can help you. Won't you come while we stand and while we sing?